Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Welcome. We started a new series last week called I Choose, and this is trying to help you make decisions. And um, so uh, if you missed last week or you want to catch up on it, the audio is on our website. On Facebook, you can actually watch uh, this service. Um, Actually, you can watch it live now or watch it uh, later. So I want to catch everybody up or review a little bit for everyone first, then we'll jump into today's topic. We started with this question last week, who are we? Who are we? And we are, all of us are a sum total of the decisions we've made or decisions made for us when we're smaller by our parents. So that's who we are today. Who we will be tomorrow is a result of decisions you and I will make today. So he said, better decisions make fewer regrets. We all have regrets, so I'm sure we'd all like to have fewer regrets. And the way to have fewer regrets is to make better decisions. Now, one thing we didn't talk about last week, we talked about the heart being deceitful, deceiving you. And one way the heart does this is through this uh, needs versus wants thing. And here's how that works. (laughs) Uh, When something goes from a, a want to a need, in our minds or in our hearts, then we've lost the battle. We only have certain, a few basic needs, food, water, clothing, shelter. Uh, they're basic needs we have. Uh, everything else almost falls into category of wants. Now for most of us, everything is a want. But we convince ourselves there's needs. So you need probably transportation, or pretty much need transportation, but do you need a forty or $50,000 truck or car? Probably not. You know, you need furniture, all these other things. So often they, they go from the need, uh, wants to the needs. The other basic needs you and, all, all, you and I all have, which some of you, and if you're not a Jesus follower, we're, we're delighted that you're here, but the biggest need all of us have is a relationship with God through Jesus. And some people don't think that's a need, but that's a need we all have. Now, one area this affects, and I'm going to give you a website. Those of you who are married, I'm going to suggest a website and a a newsletter to sign up for. This is one that my wife and I have been enjoying most recently. There was an interesting article a while back on there saying, uh, do people need sex? And the author said, well, I don't know of anybody who died because they didn't have sex. Uh, some of you folks are single. You don't have sex. You, you're, you, you're, you're still living. You're still breathing. That is not a need. That is a want. Now, inside of marriage, that's a, that shouldn't, should be uh, uh, a part of that, a healthy part of, uh, of, of marriage. So I would suggest you check that out, see if that's helpful to you uh, if you're a married person. But our topic last week, kind of our big categories to help you with smaller decisions, was the fact of choosing purpose over popularity so whatever your decision you're trying to make if if your tendency is to want to try and just please somebody or please a group of people that might be the wrong decision if you've got a purpose you've got a reason that you something you're trying to do or fulfill then that will help you make the decision so am i trying to fulfill my purpose doing something accomplish something or am i just trying to please someone Today we've got a new topic, big category to help you with smaller decisions. And today's topic is choosing, I choose surrender over control. And I want to start with a question again. Here's the question. What area of your life do you love 
to be in control. Give you a second to think about it. I don't know about you, but I don't like people ordering my food for me at a restaurant. Uh, some of us tend to be perfectionists, and no matter what anybody does, we've got to tweak it a little bit. It's just not quite good enough for us. Some of us have OCD, and you know we can't stand the picture that's not level on the wall. Or somebody, my wife, if I load the dishwasher, she has to move some of that stuff around. We talked about folding the towels in the past. So, uh, you know, are you, what, what kind of things do you kind of control? Uh, cars, driving. We talk about backseat drivers. Often it's the passenger side driver, right? And I try not to, I bite my tongue. My wife actually drives faster than I do, and so sometimes I ask her to slow down. Um, but I try not to control the driving situation. Now, one problem I do have is the TV remote. I don't like to give up the TV remote to anybody. I like to be in control of what we watch. I like to fast forward through the commercials, whatever. My wife likes the commercials, but anyway. Um, so uh, we all have our, our, our control issues. Money, money's a biggie for people. We counsel families, often it's one partner in, the, in a marriage is trying to control. Now you should have a budget. They're both agreed on, but one person shouldn't be controlling the spending of the other. So, Trying to control something, something that you shouldn't control, let's put it that way. Uh, next, next slide. Is trying to be God. Bottom line, <laughs> when you and I do that, we're trying to be God. We're saying, I know best. I know better than God. I know what's best in this situation. I know what's best, better than my spouse, better than my parents, better than my teacher, better than God. I know best. And obviously, that's not true. Now, we're going to look at something, uh, part of the Bible, part of what we call wisdom literature. And even if you're not a Jesus follower, this is, uh, there's some wisdom here you can uh, glean, I'm sure. Uh, we believe one of the wisest men that ever lived, Solomon wrote this. And it's probably the most familiar part of Proverbs. And the reason some of these verses are so familiar is because they're so powerful and they're so true. So Proverbs 3, verse 5. Because trust in the Lord completely. So that means choose to trust in the Lord. And not just some of the time. Most of us are guilty of trusting God some of the time. Other times taking control ourselves. And he says, no, no, no. The wise thing to do is to trust the Lord completely. At all times and all situations. So <clears throat> this is a decision you and I make. I have to choose to trust God or not. Then he goes on and says, and do not rely on your own opinions. Uh, some translations say understanding. Now God gives us, gave us minds and we're supposed to figure things out. But we're not supposed to trump God's wisdom with our opinions or understanding. Now how do we know? Well, the Bible is a big, big deal and we should read it. Uh, that tells us a lot about what God would know or decide about things. Uh, a group of, uh, of, of Jesus followers is a big help. It's, it's much easier to make good decisions and have less regrets if I talk to several other Jesus followers and ask their input on those decisions. But when I've decided not to trust God and go my own way, that's when we often experience grief or the results of bad decisions or regrets. He says to do that, and then he goes on and he says, and he, meaning God, 
will lead you in every decision you make. Now, isn't, that, isn't that a great promise? <laughs> you ever f- just don't know what to do? God said, well, trust me and I'll help you or I'll lead you in whatever decision you're, you're faced with making. Then he uses a, a, a term. This translation says become intimate with him in whatever you do. That's an intimate word. Uh, some translations use the word know. Uh, referring to, in the Old Testament, refers to Adam knew Eve and they conceived a child. So it's a term of, of intimacy, of submission. He says, become intimate with God in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. So you need to have a connection, an intimate connection, if you're going to know or are able to hear those decisions. He says, don't think for a moment you know it all. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? We have this pride, this idea that I know what I need to do. I don't need to ask anybody else. I don't need to ask God. I can just, I know. He's saying, well, if you trust God, he will make it clear. And I love to have clear direction when I'm trying to make a decision. Yes, absolutely. I know this is the right thing to do, the clear thing to do. And why would God help you with your decision making? Because he wants you to make good decisions. He, He loves you and he cares about you and he cares about these decisions even more than you probably do. And he wants uh, you to make wise decisions. Now, part of our problem is something I call a cycle of fear. Cycle of fear. And it goes like this. The more I try and control, the more I'm afraid I'm losing control. And the more I fear I'm losing control, the more I try and control. That sound familiar to anybody? The more I try to control, the more I feel I'm losing control. So the more I feel I'm losing control, the more I try and control. Whether it's financial situations, uh, it's a biggie in some relationships. So we're going to look at an example from the Old Testament of a big, huge decision. As we said last week, we don't always know what hangs in the balance. Well, this one was huge. And involved some folks that are described as having faith, like last week. Uh, they're listed in Hebrews chapter 11, but we're going to go back all the way in Genesis and look at the beginning of the story. So God comes, comes to this guy called Abram and makes this huge promise. He says, you don't have any kids right now, but I want you to begin, become the first person in a great nation. You're going to have millions of descendants. That's a huge promise to make somebody. And this guy, Abram, and his wife, Sarai, they move from where they are to this place where God wants them to establish this great nation. Well, time goes by, and we're going to pick the story up, actually 10 years later, and there's a problem. And we'll see what decision they made. Sarai and Abram's wife had not been able to bear children for him. So if you don't have any children, you can't have millions of children or descendants, can you? So you got to start with one. So 10 years have gone by since this promise and no children. But, buts get us in a lot of trouble, don't they? But I have this Egyptian servant named Hagar. Now, again, this is a cultural thing. Um, children, descendants were huge to folks back then, keep their lineage going. And so they had this kind of social acceptable behavior that if your wife can't bear your children, find a servant and they will bear your children. They will be legally yours. It's like a form of adoption. And they can inherit and they can be you know, produce descendants through them. So that's the plan that Sarai comes up with. Sarai says to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps 
I can have children through her. She will bear the child, but it'll be like my child. It'll be our descendant. So she's acceptable behavior in their society. This is the decision. She's trying to help out God, right? Uh, because he hasn't been able to, to, to do it on his own. So I'm going to help out God, and here's my plan. And, of course, then Abram, her husband, has a choice to make, and he agrees this is probably uh, a, a good option. So next verse says, Sarah, uh, Abram's wife again, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, gave her to Abram as a wife. So she's like a form of a wife. This happened, again, 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. And so what happens? Well, Abram has sexual relations with Hagar. She becomes pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, all right, so their plan came to fruition. As soon as the plan was hatched, what happened? Immediately trouble started. Because this was a bad decision, a bad choice. Uh, She began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. So this was really an issue of timing, wasn't it? They were willing to wait 10 years, not 11 years, uh, so they took things into their own hands, and it went horribly bad. The interesting thing, if you read the story, is does God fulfill his promise? Does God come through and provide this promised child? Yeah, he absolutely does. But they tried to do it on their own. So they had this child. His name is Ishmael. And then later, the promised child comes to Abraham. Well, their names get changed to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, his name is Isaac. So God promised Abraham that your son will be the father of a great nation. So what's the result of this decision? Abraham is actually the father of two great nations. What great nation is the descendant of Ishmael? Arabs, all the Arabs, okay? Who's a descendant, of course, of Abraham would be the Jews. We have two major religions, two biggest major religions in the world are what? Christianity and Muslims. The Muslims are a descendant, or Mohammed is a descendant of who? Ishmael. This tension that began 4,000 years ago has been going on ever since even to this day. Of course, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Savior, came as a descendant of Abraham and Isaac. So I want you to do something this morning. You have a fill-in in your blank, a blank in your outline. And here's the thing. Name the area you are trying to control. I only got room for one. You can put more if you want, okay? Most of you have pens. Right now, pick some area. If you don't want people to see it, kind of disguise it or write a generality a specific maybe you're trying to control a spouse uh, maybe I mean as parents we're going to talk about that as parents we have responsibility with our kids but are you trying to be overprotective I heard a new term this week helicopter parent they just hover over their kids all the time and I shared recently this is the first generation where the parents don't feel comfortable letting the kids out of their sight Kind of amazing. Maybe it's finances. Maybe money. You're trying to control money. Uh, maybe you're in a dating situation. And 
You know you shouldn't be getting involved with somebody who's not a Jesus follower, but doesn't seem to be good options there. So you're getting involved with somebody who's not a Jesus follower. If you are one, the Bible says that's kind of a bad thing to do. Maybe you're kind of controlling people at work. None of their, you know, people under you are doing it good to please you, and so you're tweaking it. Or maybe it's the reverse. You've got a controlling boss over you. So everybody filled something in, right? In fact, I don't see many people writing. All right. Anytime I ask people to raise their hands or fill out something and you don't do it, guess what? You know, you know the biggest reason you don't do that? Because you want to be in control. You just proved my point. So we're going to give you three questions to help you with this decision. Surrender over control. First one is this. Is it worth my concern? We have hundreds of decisions we make every day. Is it worth my concern? Is there something really of value here? Does it really make a difference one way or the other? My wife often asks me, what do you want for dinner? And I usually say something good. (laughs) Drive her crazy. (laughs) Something good. Uh, And I give her suggestions. I don't tell her what to make. I said, yeah, I would like maybe this or this or this. And I'll say, I said it this week. That's just a suggestion. You can make whatever you want, dear. Uh, Is it worth my concern? Not really. My wife does the rearranging in the dishwasher thing. Is that worth my concern? No. I put stuff in there best I can. If she wants to change it, fine. Not going to be an argument for me. It's not going to get me upset. Not going to make my my feelings get hurt. Feelings get hurt so easily, don't they? We put it this way often. Pick your battles. Parents, this is huge for you. If you're on your kids constantly... For this little thing and that little thing, guess what? As soon as they're old enough, you're not, they're not going to let you parent them anymore. Pick your battles. Is it a, a hill worth dying on? They don't wear matching socks. Is that a hill worth dying on? I don't know. Maybe it is to you. Is it worth my concern? Is it worth getting upset about? Is it worth frustrating other people. That's the first decision you need to ask. If it's not, don't, don't bother. Now, in relationship, this is the biggest area this is important. Because in relationships, you can either have uh, control or you can have intimacy. That's the next slide. So what do you want? We think by control, I will have intimacy, but they're opposites. The more you are controlling in a relationship, the less intimacy you're going to have with that other person. The more you set them free, the more uh, intimacy you can have. And the funny thing about this control thing, especially like with our kids, you know, we have four kids, they're all grown now, but when they were home, our house was never completely neat. Things weren't in order. Like now, it's like always neat and in order. And it's nice to have it that way, but you know, we kind of miss sometimes having the kids there. So some of the things that drive you crazy, uh, some of you may have lost a spouse, some of those things that drove you crazy about that spouse, now you kind of miss, don't you? So is it worth my concern? You have to make that decision. Second one, is it mine to control? Is it mine to control? Because some things there are. There's a lot, in fact, there's a lot of things that you need to take control of. You need to make a decision. I put it this way on the outline. There's a big difference between surrendering control and relinquishing responsibility. If it's your responsibility, you need to do it. 
For example, you're having financial problems. Is it your responsibility to take control of that? Get a second job? Spend less? Get on a budget? Is that your responsibility? Absolutely. That's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. Do it in your marriage. You need to work. Marriage is like anything else. You need to work on it constantly. So you know, plug into that website. Get that newsletter. Read books. Go to conferences. If you're having difficulties, go to counseling. Get help. This is your responsibility to make that marriage good. We're going to be talking about you for the next couple of weeks. We're starting these up again in September. Every one of you need, I'm going to use the word need, to be in a community group. And some of you push back, and we're going to talk about it for the next couple of weeks. And you're going to say, no, I don't. My life is fine. Well, if your life is fine, guess what? You need to help somebody else whose life isn't fine. We talk about doing life together. We say circles are better than roads. The authentic, your small group is more authentic church than sitting here listening to me talk for a half hour. It just is. Now, I love to talk for a half hour. I love you. I have you listening. But that's more authentic church. Every one of you need, and we're going to come after you this year. Every one of you need to be in a community group. You can start out with Pastor Clint's group, or we'll let you know about, about the others. And one big area of responsibility for all of us is our character. Decisions you make. Am I lying? Am I stealing? Am I cheating? Am I being honest? We are all responsible for our own character. Culture tries to tell us character is not important, but character is huge, especially if you're Jesus follower. But it's huge for all of us. Third question, try and help you with this. Is it God's to control? And here's where it gets a little sticky, doesn't it? Because we all try and control things that isn't ours to control. We're going to look at something again that's pretty familiar. Something a guy by the name of Paul wrote. This time he's probably in prison in Rome, probably chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. Can you imagine? And he's writing to this church that he started in Philippi. And just two verses, and this is very powerful and also very convicting. And he starts off this way. Don't worry about anything. And when you hear that, what is your response? That's impossible. That's my response. I'm sure it's your response also. Did you worry about something this week? Rhetorical question. How many things did you worry about would be a better question, wouldn't it? He says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything just sounds so impossible. He said, but you can't live in a vacuum, so instead of worrying, I'm going to be a more positive, constructive thing to do. He says, pray about it. Pray about everything. Anything and everything. Just, just, just pray about it. Now, I know some of you are such expert worriers, you can worry while you're praying. But normally, if you're praying, you're not worrying. Tell God what you need. I think for most of us, this is probably a better word, want, here. Because <laughs> we get all, I, I don't ask God for my needs. I, I've got them all. But I do ask him for a lot of things. So there are more wants. And thank him for all he has done. That's a big way to get out of worry. I can worry about my health, some health issue I have, but thank you, God, I'm still breathing. You know, thank you, I'm pretty good health. You know, I could have more money, but thank you, God, for the money I do have, etc. I could have more friends, thank you for the friends I have. My marriage could be better, but thank you for the marriage partner I have, the job you have, whatever it might be. 
So often we try and we try and control and we try and make this, this happen or that happen. It doesn't happen. Finally we say, oh, God, I need your help. Kind of like last resort. You know how I realize what kind of insult that is to God? Well, God, I couldn't fix it myself. In fact, I screwed it up. Can you help get me out of this now? now God should be the first place we go. Uh, somebody helped me with this last week. I talked about push, purpose pushes you through the pain. They said, hey, I thought you were going to talk about this. I said, I had never heard it before. Push stands for pray until something happens. I thought that's pretty cool, right? Pray until something happens. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. I'm going to keep repeating it so I, I get it. Then he says, when you and I do this, or if you and I can do this, this tremendous thing happens. And he says, then you experience peace. And not just peace between nations. This is, this is huge peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. So this is just not, you know, the lack of conflict. This is just not feeling good. In fact, you can have this peace in the midst of horrible conflict. This is peace that only God can do. This is peace that exceeds understanding. You ever see anybody just calm in the midst of a storm? You just wonder, how do they do that? This is what he's talking about. He said, this, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. One way to say it is, God's got it. Whatever situation you're worrying about, really it's a, it's a, it's a statement of how big your God is, right? Got a big God, God's got it, don't need to worry about it. Got a little God, I'm going to worry about everything. How big's your God? When we do this, God, this is a tremendous thing. This is this peace that I can't understand. Other people can't understand. In fact, this is one of the great ways you and I can say, hey, being a Jesus follower is fantastic. You ought to be one. Because I have peace. My life may be falling apart, but I still have this peace. And I know that God is going to get me through. This is kind of a, like an exchange or a trade. I'm going to cha- trade my worry for this amazing peace. I like to put it on your outline. Trying to control what you can't is worry. Giving it to God brings you peace. So let's ask you some simple questions. Those of you who are married, can you change your spouse? Can your worry change your spouse? Can God change your spouse? Ding, ding, ding. Um... Your kids. Can you control your kids? <laughs> we can laugh about that one, right? <laughs> can your worry control your kids or control your kids' future or your grandkids' future? No. Can God control your future? Ding, 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 ding. Your health or loved one's health. Can you, can you heal somebody? Can your worry heal anybody? Can God heal them? Ding, ding, ding. You pick your area. Can you do it? Can you worry do it? Can God do it? I want to end with a negative example from my life. This is just what God laid on my heart this week when I was studying for this. Back in the uh, 80s, when we were past, early 80s, we were passing at Greenbrier uh, Baptist Church, and that lady attending our church and her husband didn't attend. But he was a runner, and I'm, I, I'm a runner, and, and so... We got hooked up, and uh, on Saturdays, we'd run together. He wouldn't come to church, but he would, we'd run together. 
Every Saturday he asked me, what are you going to talk about tomorrow? Which I thought was pretty cool. So I got to like try out my sermon on him, <laughs> my teaching on him. And um, we got to the place where we started having small groups, community groups, and meeting in houses. And he agreed to have a group in his house. And he actually attended the group. And I led the group. And so uh, that was another interaction I had with him. Anyway, when we left to go on the mission field, he actually came to church one Sunday, one of those Sundays I'll never forget. And we stayed friends, and uh, when I was overseas, we came back, and um, eventually we got connected again on Facebook, and so um, we would see each other every, every once in a while. Uh, he's a little older than me, and I don't, know if, I don't think he's running anymore, but uh, I've been sharing Jesus with this guy for like 30 years, right? So he's living in Martinsburg now, he's divorced, and uh, has a doctor appointment in Hagerstown a few years ago, and he said, ah, we invited him over for lunch to our house. Hadn't been to our new house. So he came to our house, name's Rex, he came to our house, and we had lunch, and for whatever reason, I just started pushing Jesus on this guy. I've been talking to him about Jesus for 30 years, and, and so I, you know, right to the, right till he's walking out the door, I'm talking to him about Jesus. So he leaves, and as soon as he leaves, my wife says, why did you do that? I don't know, and to this day I've not heard from him since. In fact, I feel like I need to try and reconnect with him now. What was I trying to do? I was trying to be God. I was trying to control the situation. Most of us don't speak up when we need to, but sometimes we speak or push God, try and push God on people. So let's finish up. When you're a Jesus follower, if you are, I'm glad you are, if you're a Jesus follower, you aren't in control. You gave up control when you stepped across the line and accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. That word Lord means boss. So you're no longer in control. You're no longer boss. God is. And it's freeing. It's a great place to be. So I choose, all Jesus followers, I've already chosen surrender over control of my life. God is yours. If you're not a Jesus follower, we want to talk to you about making that decision this morning. But as you think about decisions, think about it this way. Will it matter five years from now? And it may. In fact, it may be huge five years from now. But again, my kids wear matching socks. I don't know. I don't think that will matter five years from now. And those of you who have kids or grandkids, Frozen, that popular song my granddaughter loves to sing, let it go. Just let it go. God's got it. I mean, it's a simple question. Does being a control freak make you happy? The old saying is, if it works, keep doing it. If it doesn't work, and it's not making you happy, is it? And if you're not a Jesus follower, let me just say, to, say to this to you. Why not? And probably the biggest reason why not is because you want or think you have control of your life. You certainly don't have control of your eternity. So we got some follow-up questions. Uh, once you take, think about, take action. We'll read those real quick. How are you disobeying God by holding on to worry for you Jesus followers? Secondly, what are you trying to control? That, that's a question for all of us. And then take action question, how can you surrender this to God? Uh, next week, we're going to talk about choosing your pain. We all have pain. We can't choose not to have pain. We're going to talk to you about choosing your pain next week. May pray with you. We'll have a final song and let you go. Father God, thank you so much. We thank you so much for this wisdom that we've talked about today.
and how uh, this desire to control <laughs> that we all have really doesn't make us happy, really doesn't accomplish what we want. We sacrifice intimacy for control, which is just foolish and silly and maybe even destructive. And God, there's some folks here, I'm sure, or maybe some people watching that, that, that aren't Jesus followers. They, they're trying to control their life, and if that's working great for you, then okay, but most likely not. Certainly not making you happy. Help them to see, help them to understand, help them to desire to have. Uh, we talk about make us better at life and your life better when you can just let it go and have this amazing peace in the midst of whatever storm that Jesus can bring. Uh, we pray for you if you make that decision this morning. Excuse me. God, most of us are Jesus followers and worry, don't worry about anything is a challenge, huge challenge for me, God, and I assume for most folks here. So we just pray. We pray for wisdom to understand that and the courage to actually trust you, God, because that's what it boils down to. Will we trust you with this area or that? And I pray, God, that all of us would surrender, choose surrender over control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.